You're listening to Building the Game with Rob and Jason. It's Building the Game with Jason and Rob. For tabletop game design, you really can't go wrong. Building the Game, yeah, Building the Game. Hello and welcome to Building the Game, a documentary podcast. Today, uh, I don't know what day it is, it's October? It's October 1st, isn't it? 5th. October 5th. October 5th? No, it's the 1st. It's the 1st. It's the 1st. October 1st, 2018. It's episode 331. Whoa. 331, what? I think. Yeah, hi. It's Rob and Jason here. <clears throat> we are, once again, obviously not recording in the studio. <clears throat> Our schedules have continued to be kind of a mess, and so we are um, we are recording in the office, but we're, well, so we're recording in my car in the parking lot at the at our office, hoping that this will have less ventilation noise in the background. I mean, we'll see. the the uh, <clears throat> The downside of this is that while we're sitting in the car, in order for us to not die of heat stroke, we had to crack the windows. Yeah. So maybe you will <clears throat> just be hearing a lot of parking lot noises. I don't know. Right. So whatever it sounds like now, you know we don't yet. Right. Um. Yeah, it's what it's going to sound like probably the whole time. So, so apologies. The good news is we're going to record three episodes next week in the studio um, to get ahead of having to record outside of the studio. Um, so yeah, so we should be good for the next few episodes, and yeah. then after that, I think we'll get back into a regular groove at that Makes point. Sense. This time of year is always so. <clears throat> always rough, always uh, challenging. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so it's uh, been a little while. Uh, um, you're, you went to Grand Con. I didn't make it. Um, you were going to kind of think, talk about some of that stuff. Before we get into that, though, uh, I watched Solo last night. Have you seen it yet? No, I'm going to hopefully see it in the next couple weeks here. Okay, it was really good. That's I, what I've heard. I liked it a lot. Like, I stuff that I had read online was that it was just kind of okay uh, and kind of blah. But I I really enjoyed it. I thought it was, it was head and shoulders above Rogue One. Uh, and uh, and I liked it better than Last Jedi. I know I know a lot of people like Last Jedi more than me, but um, I thought it was really good and a lot of fun. It was it was just kind of kind of fun. Um, a lot of good little references. I I think it, it got a lot of criticism for explaining everything. You know, explaining how Han got his blaster, explaining how he and Chewie met, explaining how he. Adopted the nickname Chewy instead of calling him Chewbacca, like and it, and it does go in pretty deep on explaining a lot of little details that are just totally unnecessary. Even going so far as to explaining his name Solo, and it just so I mean that wasn't really necessary, but it also I don't think it interfered with the fun of the story and uh, right. that they were making. Right. So I really enjoyed it. Um, Good. There is a reference in there that blew my mind. Totally blew my mind. I was completely unprepared for it. Um, I referenced it on Twitter uh, shortly after I watched it last night. This was not the spoiler we talked about that we both stumbled this on? This is not the spoiler that you oh, and I great. talked about. Oh, great. So there's still something that's going to surprise me. I'm excited. Right. I don't know if you'll get it or not. I'm not sure I'm not sure if you're ready for that that spoiler or if, you're, if you have the background. You probably do. You probably know. Um... But uh, but yeah, so so after you see it, we will reconvene. Sure, yeah. yeah. So, but uh, I really I really got a kick out of that. Not that it, it, and I don't mean I don't want to oversell it. Okay, I don't want to say that it's this amazing, earth shattering change. It's just a reference to something that 
Uh, I never in a million years did I ever expect a mainline Star Wars movie to reference. So, I was cool. very pleased about that. Cool, cool. Well, uh, that's good. And it was fun. It completely inconsequential to the story, though. Just oh, a, good just to a know. little good just a know. little yeah. side thing that I thought was really really cool. Anyway. Um, so that was good. Um, I'm also back from my uh, trip out west. So we had a great time in Colorado and Utah. Uh, again, if you guys follow me on Twitter, I'm sure you saw pictures from that trip. Um, uh, yeah, I hope. Uh, I know we have a lot of friends in North Carolina. I hope everybody's okay after the hurricane. I know we're again we're a few weeks out from that. That was all happening while I was out of town. But I hope everybody's okay. Hope everybody's homes are okay and everybody's. Uh, in good shape. In other Carolina news, yeah. Joshua J. Mills had uh, another baby. And yeah. His wife did, so that's cool. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To the Mills family. <clears throat> it's now, pretty exciting. Now 25% bigger. No, sorry, 33% bigger than they were. Because previously they were three, now they're four. So they grew by 33%. Okay. Yeah. Sure. So 33% larger Mills family. Congratulations. Uh, if if somebody who does math is listening and that's wrong, I'm not agreeing with Rob. I just don't know. I just don't know. So I mean, you could take into account the mass of the individuals into the percentage, but I'm just In which thinking case they're probably five percent larger. Yeah, maybe. I, yeah, maybe. I don't. I don't know. But give or take. We'll, we'll say in terms of persons. Right. Yeah, they've increased by 33 percent. Um. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, one, I want to give a shout out here uh, to uh, Mark. Uh, Specter mm-hmm. uh, and the Artemis Project, Grand um, Gamers Guild. Yeah, the Grand Gamers Guild. Wow, that is a good-looking um, game. I got yep. to see it at Grand Con. Holy crap! I was blown away with the artwork. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks fantastic. And uh, when I first saw the game, it was not about Europa uh, mm. and working on Europa and stuff. And what a great switch! Um, the artwork leverages above the ice and below the ice and the <clears> ocean <throat> below, which mm-hmm. is genius. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so I'm super stoked about that game. It looks really good, but it's on Kickstarter for a few more days till October 5th, I think. So, um, yeah, yeah, uh, check it out. I encourage you to check it out. Mm-hmm. Obviously I love the Grand Gamers Guild. I support them a lot and, um, I'm just really impressed with the work they've done on that. So, um, yep. yeah, yeah. Cool. And, uh, is uh, uh, into the Black Forest uh, as of when this goes up? What, what's our status here? <clears throat> Are we still? You still camp, campaign still going? Uh, no, the uh, okay. campaign is now done. Um, okay. So right now we have four days left. Um, so uh, the campaign ended uh, Sunday night. So if you're listening to this Sunday night, if we posted it early enough, mm-hmm. campaign may still be going, but it's probably done at this point. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's uh, right now. It is at uh, almost eleven thousand. And we are going to go into the final push here. Uh, so hopefully when you guys are looking at it now, you're seeing that it went quite a bit higher than that. Um, the first two days were, the first three days really were really, really good. Good. Um, so I expect the last three days to be as such. They generally are. Yeah. Um, those reminders start coming in. Um, Katarski is super smart about marketing and uh, getting stuff out there. He's got stuff on BGG. I think we're doing a homepage takeover on the last day. Oh, cool. Which is always really good. Um, and we've been really happy with our um, uh, conversion rates on that. So, uh, yeah, no, it's been it's been quite a ride. Katarski has uh, done a great job of managing the Kickstarter, mm-hmm. um, as he always does. I love his stretch goals. Uh, I love the way he thinks about stuff. Um, yeah, he's just done a stellar job of really, really keeping it going. Um, you know, uh, I've man, some of the reviews that have come back. There was one by Gameosity. Mm-hmm. Um, holy crap like they're really good like I'm like 
I, like, it, I was like, really? Like, <laughs> like I mean, because I'm really happy with the game and I love the game, but mm-hmm. like, to have independent reviewers who owe us nothing yeah. say like, that's great. This game is super good. Like, it's a new classic. It's this. It's this. Like, it's wow, wow, nice. Um, you know, um, one of the things they said, and I'm paraphrasing, was. Uh, this game has no business to have as much depth and strategy as it does based on looking at those simple cards, which is just like a picture of an animal, a number, and a symbol. Yeah. But, um, so that was, uh, that was nice. And, uh, they talked a lot about, um, it's not about where you, it's not just about where you play, it's about when you play, where yeah. you play. Right. Uh, which you've played the game a few yeah. times and you've never quite got the hang of it. No, that. I'm terrible at uh, it. But... but, yes, you would agree that that is true. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so no, it's, I mean, getting reviews like that—it's just fantastic, you know. Um, this game is a little more weighty than Unreal Estate. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not really much harder to learn; it's just no. harder to master. Yes, um, right. I agree because I feel like I, I, I played Unreal Estate enough that I got pretty good at it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I got pretty good at that, and and, and this one I still—I of course I haven't played it as much as I played Unreal Estate, right. but. Uh, I've played it. I played it seven or eight times now. I think, and I'm oh, yeah. still awful at it. Yeah, you usually get last place when yeah. you play. Yeah. The other thing that I've seen is uh, with the uh, with this game is I've played the game probably more than anyone, right? Because yeah. I've played most every game for playtesting. Um, and I'll tell you what, the the thing that's the most shocking to me about it is I'm still learning new strategies from new players. When mm-hmm. we played with uh, Neil at Grand Con, and I maybe mentioned this on the Grand Con live show. He schooled us, and he schooled us by doing a move that no one ever did. Yeah. Um, he uh, would play in the, uh, there's that one slot where you're trying to match above, match a suit that will show up above. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people on the first play will say, like, on the first playthrough will be like, why would I ever play there before there's cards above? I'm wasting my card. And I, I was trying to explain, no, you're not. Um, but they didn't always believe me. Well, Neil proved that. He destroyed us. Yeah. By like 40 points and he got like 25 of those points from that slot over the course of several hands. Yeah. Like he was actually keeping track cuz he's Neil. Yeah. Um he <laughs> pays attention to stuff like that. Um but anyways, so that was, you know, was like wow. I've actually been using that strategy more now because it yeah. works so darn well. Good. Um yeah, yeah. So so anyways, um yeah, I've been really happy with uh with how the game's been uh how the game's been progressing along, and um, yeah, uh, you guys hopefully got a chance to listen to my designer diary that I posted um, sometime last week. Um, that's where I just kind of talked through the original inspiration for the game and all the hurdles it went through, theme changes, scoring changes, and everything to get to the mm-hmm. game that you're seeing today on Kickstarter. Yeah, so. Holy cow, you had a hell of a journey with that. I did. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, um, I remember we we uh, I, we played several of the early versions together yep yeah yeah and the only thing that really always stayed the same was the way you played around the center yeah right, right. which is the first time you played it you said don't change this yeah <laughs> this works but yeah. you've got to change this other stuff and yeah. uh and what's funny is it actually ended up back at the same scoring mechanism i originally had yeah with a couple really minor tweaks mm-hmm. uh was all it took to make the game be more balanced and, and function the way i originally intended it to yep so um so that was great uh yep. i was really really happy with uh how that worked out and uh yeah hopefully um hopefully uh it uh hit uh, some more stretch goals so mm-hmm. i'm confident it will at least hit one more or has at least hit one more um but i'm guessing it'll hit two um and then you know uh ended at a point where we got to uh get a couple more bonuses added on so yeah 
One being your addition to the game, which of course was the the ham, the Black Forest ham. Yep, yep. Somebody on Kickstarter was like, "Can you explain to me why there's a pig?" And he's like, "Whoa, that's a wild pig." And we love Black Forest ham, and it's a good joke because that's where it comes from. Right. So, and the lady was like, "Oh, that that is funny." So, because it is. Yeah, because it is right. And everything's funnier after you explain it. Yes, the best jokes are the ones you have to explain. right? Right. Everybody knows that. So, yeah, for sure. That's because when you explain it, it it illuminates and and describes all the details of why it's funny. Exactly, and because right. I mean, let's be honest, you know, a lot of you builders out there uh, are a bit dull, so you'd really need help figuring that stuff out, right? I mean, that's fair to say, isn't it? I mean, you know, <laughs> you got people like Josh Mills, Matt Riddle listening, you know, um, Nate Darty. He's lucky, but he's not that smart. Uh, he needs a little help. He does. Okay. Now, people like Neil and Kelly, they probably, boom, jumped right on that. Uh-huh. Ben Pinchback, oh, yeah, you know he got it. Sure. He then had to re-explain it to Riddle so he understood it. Um, it's what happens, you know. Makes it funnier. Um, I don't know. Does Does Matt Loomis get jokes? Is that like a thing? Does he get jokes? Uh, I think he gets them on an intellectual basis, like like on, on a on a you know a mechanical level. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure that robots like him, though, are capable of expressing an appreciation for humor. Okay. okay. Yeah. That's fair. That's yeah, I miss Matt. I haven't yeah. seen him in a while. Was he at Grand Con? Uh, no. No. No, he oh, usually skips Grand Con, um, but uh, maybe he was there last year. I know he was at one of them. I remember okay. seeing him. Because he didn't make it to uh, Gen Con, did No, he? he couldn't make it to Gen Con. Yeah. That's why we had to use this robot uh, thing for the right. uh, IDC. Right. So, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway. Um... Matt, if you're out there, give us a shout. How you doing, man? What's yeah, going on? Yeah, yeah, we want to hear from you. Um, so, yeah, what's going on? So, I uh, talk. Can I talk a bit about Grand Con no. today? No. Okay. So, I want to talk a bit about my experiences at Grand Con. I now I talked about these. Um, I talked about these before um, on the Grand Con episode, but I wanted Rob and I to kind of break down um, and talk a little bit more about um, break it down, yo. Break it down uh, to talk a little bit more about. Um, you know, the advantages of a small con, remembering that. Also, you know, the, um, yeah, so let's just, so to start out, getting pitches at a small con is literally like the easiest thing you'll ever do, right? It's like standing in a glass house and throwing a rock and hitting a window. I mean, because, um, you know, publishers are just hanging out. Um, you know what I mean? Like they're selling stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. But, like, they're happy to see games. That means they're not working in the booth, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so I did a couple... I did a few pitches. Um, and uh, I did... with the, I did all but two of the ones I planned. One, the scheduling didn't work out. The other... Uh, I got enough feedback on Mustachio that I've now changed that a bit um, to make it way better, uh, which we're going to test tomorrow, actually, so that'll be cool. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, the idea being that the game will be a lot better. So I literally just went to the publisher and said, listen, I showed this to another publisher. They did like it. They do want to see more about it, but I want to show you as well. Um, but uh, between them and the playtesters, they made some tweaks that fixed some noticeable problems about the game. Uh, I don't want to waste your time. So could I just show you at another time or send it to you? And they replied, you know, he was like, well, he's like, if they didn't see, if other people were seeing the problems, I'm sure we'd see the problems too, which, you know, gosh, I hope so, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm confident they would have. Every publisher has seen these problems. Sure. The main problem was setup, just FYI, that it took too long to set up and um, no one was able to solve that problem except for this other publisher who was just like, what if you just do this? Um, well, actually, I can say what he said, right? Because, duh. Sure. Um, 
so the original setup for the game, the newest version, was 60 cards. Um, and then you had 30 double-sided clue cards that had appearances on them. And they were double-sided to increase um, randomness and uh, increase uh, diversity in the cards that were out there. Uh, but the big, the big thing with it was you had to put out those 30 cards, those eight, uh, 16 cards. Um, you'd put 16 of them out. Then you had to match from the deck of 60 to get the, the 16 cards you were going to need. And that was kind of a pain. It took two to three minutes. It was doable, but every publisher said, nah, that's not awesome. So this guy said, hey, what if, what if you made it like The Mind? And Rob was like, not even there. And I just felt Rob say, yes, do that. Yeah. Um, so what if you make it like The Mind and you were to um, add in some levels to the game? So, uh, meaning that um, there's, he said three levels. I said, well, why don't I do four? Because if I do four, I can just do double-sided cards, right? So level one is 16 things. It's, and I did it complete, perfect distribution of four mustaches, four glasses, four hats, and uh, four pieces of neckwear, right? Mm -hmm. So by doing that, what I ended up um, doing is uh, you now have four decks plus your main uh, appearance decks, right? Or the clue decks. So the four decks that you have are level one, two, three, four, right? So when I'm going to play level one, I grab the level one deck, lay the level one cards out, and play. And the, the, what ended up being awesome for when you want to play your second game, because you're going to want to, because it's so fun. <laughs> when you play your second game, you just flip all those cards over, mm -hmm. and then boom, now your second game is set up. You grab the deck, and you're ready to go. Yeah. It's that easy. Um, so there are currently four levels. There could easily be more. And the other th problem that allowed me to fix was... Uh, and this was something you've experienced as well. Some cards are very easy. Some cards are very difficult, right? Yeah, right. Some cards are too difficult. Some cards are too easy. Yeah. Not anymore because now the level one cards is populated with not super easy cards, but a few super easy cards. And the level four is populated with all those ones that you were like, oh, this is a head scratcher. Like, how yeah. do I describe this? You know? Yeah. Those are all level four now. So level four is legit harder. But by then, you should have had a pretty good understanding of the game. And, of course, you can replay any of the levels you want to. Mm -hmm. um, you kind of, like, if you're the game owner, right, and you're going to show some people, you can kind of base um, your level you choose on what seems fun for the crowd you're with. Sure. Um, so that, um, you know, taking that feedback was great. <clears throat> also stepping back and saying, I'm not going to show the publisher right now. But, no, the, the, the ease of getting publisher pitches was... Um, it was ridiculous, right? Uh, so um, I had a couple really promising ones, as I said before on the show. Um, but the the um, I actually talked to a friend publisher of mine, and I I'm not going to say who he is simply because um, because of this comment. But it's a really true and good comment, and I want to share it. Um, and his comment was um, that when we're at Gen Con, I am so busy that unless you come to me with a sell sheet and a good looking prototype, I don't even want to see it. Hmm. Here, I got so much time. I'm like, yeah, show me whatever you got. Sounds good, right? <laughs> um, because it's all about, you know, I mean, here's the thing. Most publishers want to see new games, right? Yeah, sure. They like seeing new games. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, um, this publisher specifically um, was just was being very honest. And I appreciate that, right? Yeah. Like, as a designer, it's always nice to hear what publishers have to say about stuff. Mm -hmm. um, because... Uh, yeah, because we can use that uh, to help, you know, help us learn as we move forward, right? Yeah. So, yeah, cool. So you've experienced that before with small cons, right? Yeah, a little bit. I, I honestly haven't done as much outreach around small cons. Um, 
in fact, I don't think I've ever done any pitching at Grand Con. Um, the smallest con that I've done pitching at was Origins. Okay. Um, Which is and, still vastly easier to get a pitch at than Gen Con. Oh yeah, yeah, hundred percent, yeah. But but I I mean I'm I'm the the weirdo there. I know we we've heard from lots of our designer friends. I think Matt and Ben even wrote some collected some statistics and wrote up some details about this at one point about the that they've had more success getting meetings and selling games from from small cons. Right. Um, yeah. So no, I I think I think that's just a fact that that in, in a, you know there are always exceptions, but exceptions prove the rule in general. I think. Right, right, yeah. right. I mean, personally, I've had more luck at, at Gen Con than I have anywhere else. But, uh, but I mean, that said, of course, my first two games, Tea Party and Slim Tycoon, were sold out of a connection made at Unpub, which is definitely a small con. So Yeah, and a con that is designed for both playtesting and pitching, right? right. Publishers are there literally to look yeah. at people's games. Right. So even Unpub's kind of a weird example of that, not a non-traditional example of that, I guess. Right. Yeah. Because so. it's an event designed around that, just like a pro right. spiel or something. Right. Like. Right. Um, you know what? I think in the first couple of years, Grand Con wasn't necessarily big enough to draw in the publishers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't even mean big enough as a convention. I mean big enough as a space, right? Yeah. Now they're in DeVos, which has its positives and negatives. I mean, I'm not... I don't love DeVos. I much liked it better when it was in the hotel, mm-hmm. frankly. I think it was more fun. Mm-hmm. That's one of the big selling points to Unpub right now is yeah. in the hotel. I, I Though I'm not going next year. I did not buy a table, but... Oh, yeah. We should talk about that, too. Um, yeah. So uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. Um, but really, the, um, the big thing with that is it's all in one location, right? Um, the, nice, the biggest nice thing about DeVos place is um, when you walk in... All the all the um, they've got on the, all around the outside. They had the vendors again. Then towards the front, they had more vendors, and then they had the huge play areas, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they, I give Grand Con a lot of credit for having tons of space um, there uh, for open gaming. Mm-hmm. Most cons are crappy at that. They had, well, again, smaller local cons are better about that right. than big ones. Yeah, uh, they easily had five times, maybe ten times more open gaming places. Than Gen Con, yeah, I believe it because yeah. Gen Con was did a real bad job this year of, really of giving bad. open space, and th- there was like one specific room that was in another hotel, like three blocks away or something. Right, but and, that doesn't that literally doesn't count. But yeah, right, sorry. that's it's like that basically didn't exist. If there's not good space available in the convention center, then what are you doing? Right. Or attached to it? Right. What are you doing? Yeah. And don't get me wrong, Gen Con has tons of, like you, with the Hyatt where we stay. Sure, there are tons of tables where yeah. you can do gaming. It's awesome. That is not their purpose, right. right? I'm talking about having a dedicated area in the con proper right. where players can meet up and play. And yeah. Um, the other big thing was I got more playtesting done at this con than I did at Unpub, uh, mm. which says a lot. And I played more other people's games and gave more other people feedback and helped others more than I do at Unpub as well. Mm. So that was a big revelation for me. Mm. Um, that's the first time that's happened. I mean... Yeah. I don't think I played a single published game. And one of you guys who played a lot of games with me, let me know. But I think I'm right there. We played three or four of my games, um, mm-hmm. some of them multiple times. Um, we played Circuitous. Um, uh, I only played that once, I think. Uh, oh, the new version of Circuitous, dude, is D. Yeah, well, I listened to your episode. It sounds great. Oh, my gosh. Um, I got to play Rum Row by Neil. Mm-hmm. And that is a game that I used to like. And now it is a game that I love, love, love. 
I would buy that game in a heartbeat if it was published. I mm. hope there's no reason that game's not published. I mean, other than he hasn't shown it to enough people. Sure. Um, because he hasn't pitched it at all. Like, no, I right. Keep harassing him, like, pitch it to this company, pitch it to that company. But he's got a couple he wants to talk to first. Kind of okay. is like, you know, yeah, sure. Start with the dream companies I and go that. with that because sometimes those hit, right? Yeah. Um, and then um, we also played his food truck game, which I also very much like. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but the Rum Row game for me, man, that that really hits home. Like, I just, oh, I love it. Cool. Um, did you play that last year? Right? I did, yeah. Yeah. And it's, remember all the little feedback things we gave him? Yeah. So he did all those and then a bunch more stuff. Yeah, good. Yeah, because that was, it was one of those games that I, I didn't really know what I was doing until I was about halfway through the game. Right. And then I realized everything I'd done wrong in the first half of the game. And I kind of just wanted to stop and start over right away so I could right. do all that stuff better. Right. Yeah. So, and I won by like two points in the yeah. game. It was so tight. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so yeah, super duper loved that game. Um, so the the playtesting aspect was really really good. Um, you know, I know that that's partly because of the group of people we we're hanging out with. Mm-hmm. I know going outside of that group, um, you very much will find people who like Matt and Ben. Even will say we play games during the day, we play prototypes at night, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so they and everybody does it differently, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they're also the kind of people who will stay up till four a.m. playing games, right? And yeah, we're I, not. Yeah, no. We just can't do that. I'm, the first yeah. night Neil and I went back to the room at ten. Yeah. At 10. I was like, dude, I'm done. You can stay. He's like, no, I'm coming with you. Yeah, right. I'm too. I need sleep. And the second night, he's like, let's stay out later. And it was like 1130. Yeah. I was like, I got to go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So anyways, yeah. Um, so those were some big takeaways from Grand Con. Um, that were, some of those were a little surprising. Um, not just, you know, the setting up publishers was, meetings was great, how easy that was, but also just how receptive they were and, you know, I walked the one publisher who, who gave me good feedback on Mustachio through. I walked them through once, and he was kind of like, I don't quite get it, but I want to get it. Mm-hmm. Can you get a play test together so I can play? Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, come get me whatever you want. We'll do it. So like 20 minutes later, I had a group. I said, let's do it. He's like, all right, let's do it. Cool. And then he played it twice. Like, he was like, he played it, and then he said, show me how setup works. I showed him how setup works. He's like, yeah, that's too slow. Can we play it again since you already set it up, though? So that was pretty awesome. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so those are some really big takeaways that I had from the con. Um, Unpub. Let's talk about Unpub. Yeah. Um, so tickets went up for sale and sold out in 24 hours or so. Yep. Yeah. Uh, of course, I was out of town. I was in uh, I was in Utah at that time and was not really equipped to go online. I So I, I made sure to take the time to back into the Black Forest. Thank you. Because I had the Kickstarter app on my phone and it was pretty easy and I had good Wi-Fi. But we came to Unpub Tickets. I got that email and I was like, I just, it's not a good time for me to be thinking about that. I'm focused on other stuff right now. Also, you know, I didn't go last year, right? Right. I didn't go last year because it wasn't in the budget. And um, and I, I missed it a little bit at the time. I wish I had gone because as it turned out when it came to, to be time to do that, it, 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 the budget would have been fine. But whatever. But that said, it, uh I talk a lot about setting goals for myself and setting setting milestones or deadlines for myself, self, self-imposed, and that I work well with that. Um, I learned after not setting that goal for myself for Unpub that, that that took a lot of pressure off of me over the winter months to allow me just to kind of relax and just think about things that needed more time to be thought about. And, and that's worked out really well for me so far this year. I still don't have anything I can announce yet, but hopefully I'll be able to talk about some other stuff soon right um and but 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 the projects that i'm that i'm feeling good about are are projects that 
were not ready at Unpub and that if I had been scrambling to put something together on Pub, at Unpub, I probably would have set these other projects aside. Right. And so, so thinking about where I was when tickets went for sale, the, the tight deadline that I would have to respond to, how quickly I would have had to make a decision, and thinking back on my experience in the previous year, I thought, you know, I think I'm probably good to let Unpub go again for another year. Right. Um, especially since we've, we've gotten a better group together here locally and we're having more opportunities for playtesting here at home. Um, uh, yeah. Well, and yeah. So the interesting thing is I had the opposite experience. I went to Unpub solo last year. Um, great that I did yeah. because all of the things that you had work out for you by taking more time, I just needed to hammer some games sure. and figure out what worked with them, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's what I was able to do at Unpub. Um, now, that said, I still felt like I don't need to go this year um, because there is a lot of pressure mm-hmm. and it's a big trip. Um, that likely, at the end of the day, likely, I'm not going to get anything out of it other than a lot of good playtests in. With the games that I design, especially the you know the card games and stuff, that's not always worthwhile. In fact, yeah, because the way you work is is you have an idea and, and let's try this idea, and you generally know right away if that's going to work or not, and then you need to come back and iterate on it, right? Right. right. And you need that rapid iteration. Right. And so yeah, yeah. So, and Unpub kind of interrupts that. Right. Yeah. So usually by the time I get to Unpub, I'm either got a game that I'm really happy with and I'm going to make some iterative changes, but I can't make them when I'm there, or I'm going to find it, I'm going to think I've got a good game and then hate it two plays in, and that's what happened this year, right? Yeah. It's just within to the Black Forest, that's all I had that was really really that I wanted to test. So I said screw it. And I just started tinkering with it because I was like, I've got these cards. I can do something with this. Mm -hmm. So that was great for me. But overall, I just don't feel like it's necessary. Um, Don't get me wrong. I'm not dogging Unpub. You should go to Unpub if Unpub works for you. Oh, 100%. But for for me this year, I want to try not doing it. Um, I want to focus more on, you know, the local stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. And and for me, the nice thing about skipping on pub is that I'll be able again budget wise I'll be able to go to Origins for the whole time again I think right which is great yeah I hope to go to Origins a bit longer this time yeah alright so that is your unpub updates yeah um, but uh, but yeah it, again we're not ragging on unpub here unpub's nope. a great program and well worth your time right um, uh, yeah one note about unpub at Grand Con um, unpub at Grand Con first of all Unpub was great at Grand Con, but Grand Con, man, they literally put them. You know, you remember you went to DeVos Place last year, right? Yeah. The big area where we were, right? We were in the next one over, but that was fine. I mean, so same side, right? Yeah. Big area. You literally had to go around, up the escalator, around a bunch of stuff, all the way around to some other rooms mm. on top to find Unpub. It was it was literally in Narnia, and it was stupid. Like, mm-hmm. um, they did that to Unpub uh, uh, back when. Grand Con was still in the hotel, right? Where you yes. had to walk like a mile and a half to get there. Yes. Yeah. And in the hotel, I will give them the excuse of there were limited conference rooms. Sure. And the hotel had made the decision to set a lot of conference rooms away. Yeah. So I get that, right? But that is not the case there. There were tons of conference rooms right on the same floor. And some of those were clearly booked. Some of those weren't. But Grand Con had nothing showing where Unpub was. Hmm. Um, Unpub had their banner, which, of course, they put outside the room. You couldn't even see it from the first floor. Neil was really upset about that, so he literally moved some tables and then moved the banner when no one was watching (laughs) um, to where you could see it from the balcony, and that was great because then you could look and go, oh, Unpub's up there, and then take your way around to find it. Good. Um, 
But Ben Ben Beagle was there running on pub. I love Ben. He's fun mm-hmm. to play games with. I did play one published game actually. Good. Uh, I played um, uh, um, Swarmopolis. Sprawlopolis. Sprawlopolis. That's what yeah. it is. That is fun. That's the button shy, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 That's the button shy one that did like a gajillion dollars. Right. I see yeah. a lot of that on Twitter. Yeah. Um. So it's really good. Good. The, the only and this isn't a criticism. It's just me being bad at math. Scoring. <laughs> Scoring is a little rough when you're going through. Like you have yeah. to like really pay attention. Um, and we screwed it up like twice when we were trying to play. Like we were like we broke the game, and then Ben's like, "No, guys, you have to be doing this." And we're like, "Oh crap, we mm. didn't break the game." Uh, we were really excited to break the game and then show it to uh, show it to Tagware and be like, "We broke your game," but yeah, no, but no, no, we did not. You were wrong. Yep, totally. Okay. Like could not have been more wrong. So good. So, good. anyways, um, so that game was super duper fun though. I'll okay. probably go out and pick that up. If they, I'm cool. sure it's still available. Um, good. Yeah, so you want to pitch a game then? Yeah, so I've I've been toying with this idea. Um, I uh, uh, I haven't I haven't talked about this in a while, but but I was thinking again about the inexorable march to the grave. Oh yeah, I like that one. Yeah, I mean it was depressing, but I like it. Was, well, right? I mean it's it's the, it's pretty kind of morbid and depressing and fatalistic uh, thematically. Uh, nev- the game never quite really worked mechanically. The 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 ideas that I had were just, I don't know, I, 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 in practice, it was just not good. So, anyway, um, I started thinking about that again, because I still think that's a great title, and it's, like, really catchy, uh, and I think, I think it's, it is marketable. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking about, so if I wanted to, to kind of come at that core idea, that idea of, of inevitability, of, of an- anticipating the end, and the end might come sooner than you want it to. And, uh, and I was thinking about what can you do around things that are that are clearly counting down. So I'm thinking, well, you know, maybe maybe you've got a pool of cubes that that is dwindling. Maybe you've got a deck of cards that's running out. And I was, you know, maybe it could be like a deck culling game, kind of. Right. Um, uh, uh, and. And then it, I, I, had, I had this idea, and I thought, what if, what if it wasn't a full game on its own? What if it was designed at, to be an add-on to the game of life? You know, okay. like the Hasbro right. board game, the game of life, right? That's and weird. So yeah. right, so it's like it's a new deck of cards and some new components, but you would play it with the game board from life and the pieces from life. Okay. Okay. Um, so if you own life, then you could buy this. This is a separate thing from GameCraft or whatever, because I'm sure no publisher would ever actually print this. This would no, just no, be not a print-on-demand thing, right? So, so Hasbro we, probably isn't going to print it. Mattel is it Hasbro or Mattel? Well, Hasbro owns Mattel now. I think. Oh, okay. So, yeah. but either way, Hasbro's not going to print a game about no, 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 marching no. to the yeah, grave. Right. Yeah. It was originally a Mattel <clears> game, though, I believe. Um, yeah, so so I and I thought, hey, that's a funny idea. And of course, I don't own a copy of Life, so I couldn't really get on the component moving around the components. But but so so you remember the game of Life, right? The basic idea there is is you've got your little car and you put your little your little peg person in the holes hole in the car, and you move them along the game board and you spin the spinner and that tells you how many spaces to move and wherever you land, uh, it tells you that you either earn money or you spend money or draw a card or if you land on a payday space and you get more money. And you want to get, and occasionally you'll have to get a kid, or you, know, you get married, you get a kid, uh, and you, there's six holes in your car for pegs. So you could have a, a, you could have a spouse and up to four kids, right? Named Daryl. 
Oh wait, that's a different. That's that's redneck life. Uh, you could have make it more abstract. Make it be an add-on to redneck life. <laughs> yeah, right. I still I think one of the funniest things I've ever seen in a game is is there's a joke in there about how you in in redneck life about how you you gain two more kids named Evan Rudin Trout. And I just love that. I still think about that sometimes and laugh to myself. That's good. And, and also like the 47 kids named Daryl, um, which is super fun. Anyway, so I so um, so thinking about this, I'm thinking, well, I, I don't want to have money be a part of it because managing money is a pain in the butt. Right. I don't want to mess with money. So I think, uh, 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 and then uh, drawing cards from, from the deck in, in the game, it'd be easier to just get rid of those cards uh, and, and just do another thing, right? Do something else. So I think what you would do is you would you would use the board, you would use the pieces, you would use the spinner, um, but that's it. Okay? And then what you add to it is you add a separate deck of cards, and you add a pool of cubes. Okay? Uh, and this is still a very fuzzy idea. But uh, at the start of the game, everybody, is, there's, there's, a, you know, there's a draw deck that you shuffle up, everybody's given five cards maybe four, I don't know, whatever. So we'll say five cards. Everybody's dealt five cards and everybody starts with a set number of cubes. And maybe that's 15, maybe that's 20. I'm not really sure. Um, so uh, on your turn, you have to play a card. You always have to play one card. You can play as many cards from your hand if you, as you want, but you always have to play at least one. Okay. okay. When you play that card, it's going to let you do something out on the board. I don't know what that is yet. In most cases, it's probably move your piece because ultimately the, the the goal of the game is to get to the end of board end of the board before you die. Okay. Okay. You want to, you want to live your full life, uh, uh, but uh, but you might not make it there because uh, you know you might die before you reach all your goals before you get to the end of your life. You might die young, whatever. Again, wow, wait a pretty the game really super depressing. fatalistic and depressing. I know, right? So you play a card, and, and, and most, of, most of the time, probably, you're going to play a card that has a number on it that allows you to move your pieces or a number of spaces. Um, in order to play that card, though, you have to spend something, and you have to spend cubes in order to, uh, to spend that card. Okay, so it'll have a cost, and you have to spend that cost in cubes. Um, now, when you do that, uh, that, that cost will break down between cubes that you pass to the player on your right and cubes that go back into the game box and are out of the game. Okay. So, so sometimes when you're doing that, you're and, and you're always passing to the right, not playing. So play passes to left, but you give cubes to the player on your right. Okay. Okay. So you have to spend cubes in order to play that card, and you can play five cards from your hand if you want, um, and that's fine. But um, uh, but you have to have enough cubes to cover it. Now, uh, and, and and so you're and again you're playing giving cubes to the player on your right. Sometimes you might play a card that will affect one of the other players. Uh, and, and one example I've got is you have to give them an additional burden. And that additional burden is putting another peg in their car. Oh, you know, so another drain on their resources. Right. And then so, some cards, you know, you might be when I play this card to move, I have to, to uh, spend cubes times the number of burdens that I have or something, right? Okay, yeah, so that yeah. stuff can multiply. And so you can give burdens to other players, but you might also potentially get bonuses for having burdens. You might play a card uh, for yourself that would say, you know take cubes from the box equal to the number of burdens you have or yeah i don't know right things right, like that right right okay that makes sense sure now there will inevitably come a time when you run out of cubes that does not mean you die you can still play cards but then in that case uh instead of spending cubes in order to play a card you have to burn cards from your hand and those cards go back to the box so normally when you play cards it goes to a discard pile that gets shuffled and refreshed 
but but it, there's going to come a point where all the cubes are gone and you don't have it anymore and you still need to do something and so then you're going to actually burn cards throw them out of the game they're right. not going to get shuffled back in so and you continue playing until you get to a point in the game where you want to do something you don't have any cubes to spend and you don't have any cards to burn or enough cards to burn in order to accomplish that thing you're done you're out of the game can you get more cubes after you've run out like because someone pays you cubes yes Okay. Yes. But eventually that economy of cubes in the game will dwindle we'll run to out. zero. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that so you might you might on one turn find yourself saying, Uh, oh, I'm out of cubes, I gotta burn some cards in order to do something, but then the player on your left is gonna take their turn and give you some cubes, and now you're back in it and you have a chance to do something right. on the next turn. Right. Right. So uh it, And you have to play at least one card? You always have to play one card at a minimum on your turn. Um so so that that's kind of the, the core idea. Like I said, it's super fuzzy. I think it's really goofy and silly. Um and again, kind of depressing, uh, which I think is funny, especially yeah. juxtaposed against that kid's game. You, you can know? be a winner at the game of life. Except yeah. maybe not, because it doesn't <clears throat> always work out that way for everybody, because right. that's that's the reality of the inexorable march to the grave that we are all uh, embarking right. upon every day of our lives. Um, yeah, so it needs more than that, right? That's just kind of a fuzzy, loose concept. There needs to be more going on. Oh, uh, the, the other thing is, is so we would we would ignore all the text and all the spaces except for the payday space. When you when you land on the payday space, that's when you spin the spinner, and that'll tell you how many cubes you get back. Okay. Anywhere from one to ten. Okay. And so that's another way to prolong your life. Um, or you know, and maybe it's maybe it's spinner divided by two is the number of cubes you get. I don't know. That's got to be balanced, right? To, right. Balanced to taste or something. Um, but that that way you still include the, the spinner in the game. Right, and then there are points in the on the game board where there's a stop. You know, you, you get to the point you have to you hit stop and you get married, and then you hit stop and you have to buy a house. Those are part like like normal parts of the base game. So there would be there you would still stop at that point, but there would have to be some kind of a different turning point. Right at that. So right, and then I would say at the end of your turn, you always draw back up to five cards. Right. So interesting. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think it's a funny idea. Uh, I realistically, I don't have time to work on it right now, but I thought it was right. kind of a funny idea to, and, and it's something that I might like to play with in the future, where you kind of take a familiar game that everybody probably already has in their closet somewhere from when they were kids, and kind of kind of think of doing an add-on that's not just like, uh, you know, an alternate play style or a new a rules change, but to actually add new components to an right. existing game, like an expansion almost. Yeah, like yeah. yeah, like a custom unauthorized expansion. I thought that was kind of a kind of a neat idea, and I'm sure I'm, I'm not the first person to think of that. that of course, but um, I thought it was a kind of a fun approach. That is cool. Oh yeah, awesome. Uh, yeah. So uh, let's see. I guess we're probably at about time here. Um, I think at some point here this month in October, we're going to see Fallen Treasures coming up on Kickstarter. I need to reach out to uh, Card Lords to to find out what the details are on that. But you should be looking for. That on Kickstarter soon. I that that'll be it, it. The art that I've seen is super super cute. Um, went, went in a different direction than, than the original prototype that I'd done. Um, so the, the the art is adorable. Uh, uh, it, it's still the same the same core idea. Uh, you know of uh, of trick taking that uh, ramps up into press your luck and kind of swings hard on that. And it's roofy, really goofy and silly fun. Um, Tucker from Carlords also, uh, I think, made some brilliant additions around making it work well with, with two players, um, which was something that I had struggled with. And he really he really nailed that, I think. Awesome. So, um, 
Uh, I'm excited about it. I, I hope you guys are too. It, a great, easy, easy family game. It's just a simple talk box, super portable. Um, so look for that on Kickstarter soon. Once I have some more details, of course, I'll talk about it on the show. Um, anything else coming up in October, November? I don't think so. I don't think so either. Uh, yeah, so thanks everybody for listening. All right. If you want to get in touch with us, send us an email to buildinggamepodcast.gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at PodcastBTG. Jason is at J.A. Slingerland. I'm at poorly underscore designed. Uh, like us in places. Google voice number is 770-TELL-BTG. Looking for voicemails. Please, please, please. We will be back in the studio next week to do more of this. Uh, and, uh, yeah. Thanks for everything you guys are uh, do. Thanks for all your support. Uh, and uh, we'll we'll talk with you again next week. So good night. Good night. Building the Game is a co-production of Imminent Entertainment and Poorly Designed Studios. All of the ideas presented by Rob and Jason are property of the Building the Game podcast.